Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Horticulturist, Skip Richter. Hello, thank you for listening today and we are looking forward to having you uh, speaking with you on Garden Success. If you will write down our phone number, we'd love to have you call in about anything that relates to lawns, gardens, houseplants, vegetables, any kind of horticultural topics we're happy to handle. Uh, the number is 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And uh, we uh, strive, or at least I strive on the show, to give research-based answers. I've, I've been uh, perusing a couple of the apps like Instagram, Pinterest, things like that. And uh, I tell you, I can only look for so long uh, before I just get frustrated seeing the kinds of things that are being said. Of course, there's a lot of things that are true. There's a lot of things that are absolute baloney. And research-based information is really important. And that's what we do at AgriLife Extension, and of course, AgriLife Research. Uh, here at Texas A&M, but um, our goal is to base things on evidence that uh, can be replicated and that is proven uh, to, to work. Now, not everything has been researched. Certainly with plants, we, goodness, we're just always looking at new types of plants or new ways to grow plants and things. And so we do our best, though, and, and we certainly search through other uh, extension services, other land-grant universities across the nation uh, to find good information. So uh, I invite you to call in with your questions. Don't worry about it if you don't think it's a good question. Uh, I always tell folks that there's uh, there's no such thing as a stupid question, but there are stupid answers. Well, that that's, may not be completely true. I guess I've asked a few stupid questions myself over time. But I'll worry about the stupid answers and uh, taking care of that. So just give us a call. We would love to hear from you today. We are in great gardening season weather. I, this is fall is my favorite gardening season of the year. Now spring is when uh, you know come out of winter and there's a lot of excitement and hope and seeing green and flowers and everything back outside again. Uh, and it is the most popular gardening season of the year. But fall is the best gardening season of the year. And here's why. Any kind of perennial type plant, almost any kind, is better planted in the fall. Now, the, you may find an exception or two, but it's not likely. Uh, for example, a woody ornamental like a shrub or a tree or a woody vine. You plant them in the fall, they have all winter to get established and the, the new roots begin to grow out of that little pot you planted. That's a very confined root system. So that when next summer's heat arrives, and I sure hope we don't have heat like we did this past summer, but when it arrives, that tree or shrub has a much better chance of surviving. So fall planting is it's actually important for them. For perennials, it's also a good time to plant. They too uh, are just getting a little better established to come out a little earlier uh, be, or be ready to go a little bit earlier in the spring. And uh, I have found, and I haven't tried this with every kind of plant, but with a number of different plants, I have found that I can plant a four inch pot in the fall and then wait until 
spring, let's say mid-spring or so, and you buy a one-gallon pot and plant it next to it, the four-inch, and by the time you get to mid to late summer for sure, but probably midsummer, it's hard to tell the plants apart. And a four-inch container, a four-inch container plant costs a lot less than a one-gallon plant. So planting in the fall is also economical, just in addition to the fact that you're going to lose less plants if you do fall planting, uh, as opposed to certainly early summer planting. Uh, but it also you can spend a little less on the particular plants you buy if you can find them in a smaller container. Just remember when you buy plants, you're buying the dirt. And so uh, the more dirt you're getting, the more you're going to pay. Hopefully the plants will also be larger, but <laughs> not always. Uh, sometimes they just recently got bumped up to the next pot size, and, and so you're, you're getting more dirt. Well, let's let's take a break. We're going to go talk to Catherine. Hello, Catherine. How are you? Uh, is Kate there? Okay. Kate, are you there? Oh, I'm not hearing her. I think we may have. Hang on, Kate. We're gonna we're gonna try to get you on. Uh, so anyway, fall is the best time to plant. Please do that. Uh, please consider that. And uh, I think that you will find that not only is it a good time to plant, but it's also great weather after that long, hot summer. Well, let's go now and talk to Kate. Hello, Kate. Hello, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so confused. I accidentally hit the mute thing. Oh, okay. Uh, here's, here's my question. Um, I bought a lot of seeds, okay. thinking that reduces cost on new plants. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been told, at least for Larkspur, November is the time to sow the seeds. Is it true for almost any kind of seed? No, it's not. It is true for Larkspur. We have a, a handful of flowering uh, annuals, or bi- actually they're biennials, that we plant in the fall and then they bloom in the spring. And that would include Larkspur. Uh, you can do sweet peas that way, uh, the flowering sweet peas, and also uh Things like a blue bonnet, which nature plants them that way, and then the um, oh, what am I forget? Poppies. Poppies are also that way, but there are a lot of others that you want to wait until spring to plant, and that would be things that bloom in warmer weather, not so early in the spring, uh, and so that would include things like marigolds or zinnias or sunflowers, and I would say most of your warm season flowers should be planted in the spring. Okay, um, and I guess you want to be close to frost being over when you plant those? Yes, uh, that's usually the best. You know, plants vary in, in their temperature preferences. Uh, we have some plants, like if you had seed from the plant called Red Bird of Paradise, uh, it's beautiful, it's a, just a beautiful plant, and you planted it uh, and ask it when it wanted to be planted, it'd say, well, not a day earlier than May. I mean, it loves warm weather, and it, it wouldn't do well planted as a seed in this early spring. Uh, but there are other plants that you can plant quite early, and they'll come on up and get going. Well, I'm going to learn that I have to save larkspur from season to season because it's very hard to find in the stores. Apparently, delphinium is more popular, but I have no luck with that. Right. Delphinium is more of a challenge. It, it's considered a perennial, but it struggles in our climate. Um, 
here as a trying to get it to be a perennial. Uh, you ought to be able to find larkspur through a number of online seed catalogs. I, I yeah, I think I'll have to go to that. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be that would be good. And you may also some of the uh, local uh, places that sell plants that have seed packets on a rack. You might find larkspur in some of those. I haven't. That's where I've been checking, you know, the All right. the places I normally shop for All right. other things. Well, then save your seed, and we'll tell everybody next spring that they need to go to Kate's house and buy their larkspur seed. <laughs> Here's the thing I hate to save seed is I like to prune. I like to deadhead mm-hmm. just for appearances, right. but then the seeds aren't mature. That's true. So that's kind of a trade-off. So maybe put a few around the corner that you don't normally look at and let those go to seed. <laughs> okay. I, I do that with a number of things. And, and I, I guess I'm pretty tolerant of um, plants not being in their prime. Uh, I know for a lot of people, it's got to be perfect and nice and, you know, all that. And uh, I can take a little bit of that. Nature's a messy thing, you know. So uh, I would I would leave a few. Maybe leave the rest or prune the rest, but leave a few that you don't Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get a lot of seeds from one plant. You can. Uh, sure can. Can I take another question that may be quicker? Absolutely. Uh, I have nice bougainvilleas, mature, I don't know how many years old they are, mm, six or seven, I guess. Mm. And, I, and I have them in pots. And they're big, heavy pots. And every winter, I put them on carts because okay. I can't carry them, and and roll them into my garage. Okay. You never know what our winter's going to be like. Right. But if if I can get the weatherman to do a general, you know, mm-hmm. anticipation, it's going to be a mild winter. It's going to be another doozy. Mm-hmm. What is the temperature? If I cover these with insulation. And actually, I've bought some mylar, that silver stuff okay. that's supposed to retain heat. Mm-hmm. Um, if I cover these, how low a temperature will they tolerate? I just am not going to be able to give you a good number on that. Uh, but I will say this. Now, you're, the bougainvilleas that you're bringing in, uh, are they going totally leafless or are they keeping some green leaves? some green leaves okay. not a lot i mean they do drop a ton yeah it would be good to if they could have a little bit of light what i would do is i would throw well i do because our weather is so cyclical right you know we get a freeze and then two days later it's bright and sunny and warm so i try to bring them out into the light all right well kate here's what i would do i would throw some kind of a cover over them even a clear plastic and then just put a light bulb in one of those little aluminum shields with a clamp. You know what I'm talking about? Those things that uh, hold a light bulb, but they've got a little shield around the bulb, and then it yes, can clamp yes. on. I would stick that and just don't point that clamp toward the plant. Just point it down. A 100-watt light bulb produces quite a bit of heat, and we're just talking about a few degrees here. We're not, you don't need it to be 90 underneath there. So mm-hmm. uh, I would just one bulb, group all your plants together, and have a cover that is, that rising heat, you know, doesn't have a way to escape readily. And that'll, mm-hmm. that'll get a marginal situation through, through a pretty good freeze. Yeah. As long as it's not in your like garage. Year, but... I, you know, not out in, in the garden, that, that may not be enough. 
Oh, I rarely have light bulb in the garage. Okay. I might have last year when it got so cold, mm-hmm. but on a typical winter, they just do fine in the garage with no bulb. All right. Well, if you've had them for I'm several... I'm just trying to find a way not to have to haul them in. Okay. they're heavy. Well, here's... I'm getting old. All right. <laughs> let a me... lot of trouble. Let me, give, let me give you an, a quick tip on that that I use. Uh, it, if I try to pick those up and put them even on a little cart... My chiropractor is going to be getting a call the next week. And so what I do is I use a a dolly and you can slide the lip under the edge of the pot without having to lift the whole pot and then put a strap around your container and it attached on each side to the dolly. Then Mm -hmm. you tilt it back and it's, I mean, it's almost effortless to get even a half whiskey barrel full of soil to get it into the garage. True. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for the call. I appreciate this. All right. Let's go to the phones and talk to Sarah. Sarah there? Yes, she is. Hi, Hi, Sarah. Well, hi. How are you? How can I help Um, today? I'm good. I kind of have a question, but kind of not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just a concern. I'll kind of give you an answer (laughs) after I hear it. Okay. Yeah, my concern. <laughs> so we have, uh, we live in the uh, historical neighborhood across from campus. Okay. My calls it hysterical neighborhood, but uh, <laughs> anyway, we have a we have a couple of oak trees there. Our house is seventy five years, more than seventy five years old. So nice. obviously, the trees are even older. Yes. Um, and they are. They have just, I mean, they actually cut a couple of our branches. When I say they, there is a house that was demolished right next to us, and they're building this. They say, oh, we cannot get in. We have to cut some of these uh, uh, limbs, and they did. And I'm just a little concerned about my trees. And, and you're concerned because of the amount of limbs that they took off? Well, they did, I think, two or three, maybe. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I don't know how, I mean, well, it's up to, like, maybe, it's a pretty big tree. Okay. Well, if if they didn't take, you know, a lot of limbs off, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's probably not going to bother your tree a lot. They're pretty resilient to being pruned. Uh, they, you can take quite a bit off, but I, w- I wouldn't take half of the, the leaf cover off a tree uh, at one time. But if the people doing the pruning knew how to do proper pruning, uh, your tree should just be fine. I don't think so. I think it was just like, they just said, oh, we need to get in. We need to cut these. <laughs> so, but I think it should. I, I'm just hoping. I just want somebody to kind of tell me your tree is going to be okay. Well, and well <laughs> I, now I have not seen this tree or the job that was done. So why don't you send yes, me sir. a picture from a distance so I can see the whole okay. tree and email it to gardensuccess at tamu.edu, and I'll take a look at it. And then I'll feel a lot more confident okay. in answering that. Okay? okay, I'm pretty close to uh, KMU. Okay. So maybe you can drive by sometime. I'll okay. tech, email you the address. All right, thank you. <laughs> well, thank you, Skip. Thank you for the call, Sarah. Our phone number is 979-845-5689, or you can email me at gardensuccess at TAMU. Edu. Now, if you're listening to this uh, on uh, the radio, uh, then it's certainly easy to call in and, and to uh, uh, 
uh, email us and things like that when you get to a phone if you're not at one already. If you're listening by podcast, uh, you can actually listen to the show live at the KAMU-FM website. And so that's KAMU 90.9. I won't read out the website, but uh, you can find it. And you can listen live if you want on your computer. Uh, and we do have some folks that do that in different areas. Uh, okay, well, I just want to make one comment after uh, Sarah's call. Uh, I, I want to be careful in the way I say this because I don't want to um, cast shade on, on anyone who might not need ca shade cast on them. But um, it, when you have a tree pruned, you are making a decision uh, that is it's going to affect that tree and its beauty and the value of your property for decades to come. And so it is important to have someone that knows what they're doing. I, uh, I usually recommend that you find a certified arborist. Uh, they are trained and certified uh, to, to be able to reach that point. I know it's hard finding certified arborists here in the area who have time to come by and do it. They stay pretty busy and we just don't have a whole lot of them in this area. Uh, but uh, if, you can, if you can reach one of them, that's good. There are other people who know how to do proper pruning on a tree. Uh, and, you know, I, I, we don't recommend brands, we don't recommend companies, uh, specific uh, product brands or anything. And so I'm not going to list out arborists that I think you should go to. But maybe talk to them, find out where they've done other work and how, how happy people were with the work they did. Uh, it's always good to know, did they clean up well after they left or did they leave you a mess and so on. But uh, take some time before you just hire somebody with a pickup and a chainsaw to do some pruning work on your trees because you and the tree will have to live with what they do for a very long time. Now, I don't want to, you know, infer anything like, oh my gosh, half the people out there are going to do a bad job. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I see a lot of bad jobs, uh, no matter where I am in Texas driving through neighborhoods. And I also see a lot of quality pruning. And so if it costs a little more to have it done right, it's worth it. All right, let's go to the phones now and talk to Catherine. Hello, Catherine. Hello, this is Catherine. Yes, how can I help? I'm calling today because there's an oak tree in the yard mm -hmm. that's been having trouble. Oh, you sent me a picture of that, didn't you? Yeah, I sent a video that has some of the dust when I tapped the trunk. Yes. And then I sent a picture that shows a little more of the bark surrounding it. Okay. I believe it's an oak. Okay. And the limbs are having such a difficult um, dying off, I guess uh -huh. you'd say. A few are still alive. Okay. Well, uh, what what you're seeing, and, and I uh, have been in the last few weeks basically predicting that this is going to happen. However, hap it happening to your tree is a little too soon. I, I, I wouldn't early enough to predict your tree. Uh. But, but when trees go through stress, there's a disease called hypoxylon canker. It doesn't affect every tree, uh, but oaks are primarily the place we see it. It's not limited to just oaks. So. But hypoxylon canker is sort of ubiquitous. It's, it's out there in nature, and it's not like it was brought in. It's when your tree gets weak, hypoxylon has the opportunity to overcome the, the tree and to take it out and kill it. It may kill a large limb, it may kill the trunk, 
but often when it happens, it happens kind of all over the tree because um, that's just a weak tree. And it's unfortunate. I can't tell exactly what kind of tree you have from the photo because I'm just seeing a little bit of the bark and stuff. But uh, it, it probably is some type of oak. Um, it's not the tree's not going to come back from that. It just does okay. not. I'm, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that but, is sad. However, yeah. I appreciate your explanation. Well, hypoxylin well, canker. Hy hypoxylin canker, and if you go, I think at the uh, Plant Clinic website here at A and M, PlantClinic.tamu.edu, I believe they have a write-up about it. If you want to read more, you can just Google uh, the. the hypoxylin. But uh, your picture shows kind of an olive drab, dusty material. Uh, sometimes you'll see it a, a little browner than that, and, and there's even some, some black and, and almost a silvery kind of substance that can form sometime, depending on what exactly what stage this all is in. But um, I would I would go ahead and consider look starting the process of finding someone to take the tree out, because it may take a little while to get somebody and uh, you don't want to leave it too long where it starts to decay and becomes a hazard. Yes, the limbs do fall and it was such a beautiful tree, I believe an oak, uh, mm -hmm. possibly a red oak. However, okay. I, I appreciate your description and I will go to the plant clinic mm -hmm. dot edu. Right. That, that would be a good way to do it. And, and something else and uh, you know, this is, of course, for you doing the search, but I know we have a lot of folks listening that often have questions, then you want a good reference for your search. Uh, when you just put in something like hypoxylin canker, you can have anybody in the world could be talking about it, whether they know what they're talking about or not, and it pops up on your search. So if after you search for something, you give a space and then type in site, S-I-T-E, and then a colon, and then a dot, period, and then edu. And what you're telling Google is, I want you to only look at sites, websites, that end in dot edu. Wonderful. Site, so colon, that is dot, site, S-I-T-E, colon, colon, dot, dot e edu. edu. When I do any plant search online, I almost always put that in, unless I'm for some reason looking for something else. But you'll get uh, Texas A&M stuff, you'll get LSU, Oklahoma State, uh, Arkansas, wherever, you know, wherever there is a land-grant college, you'll get their stuff. And so again, we're, we're looking at research-based information, which is what we're looking for. Well, thank you, Skip. You've given me a wonderful um, cue for getting uh, land-grant education-specific information. I appreciate that. All right. Well, good luck with it, Catherine. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Well, you got to learn, and life is nature. Thank yeah, yeah. you very much. All right. You take care. Our phone number is 845-5689 if you're calling from outside the area. 979-845-5689 and the email success at tamu dot edu garden success at tamu.edu uh, looking at the email alicia emails about a chinese pistache i believe they planted it uh, about a year ago and this september it dropped its leaves like it's fall 
uh, or I'm dying. It, it dropped its leaves. And then now they're seeing new leaves start to push out on the plant. And that's a good sign. Uh, it's not great for the tree that it's pushing out the leaves now because they're going to quickly get frosted, frozen, and it just used some stored energy uh, to do that. And it'll have to do it again in the spring. But uh, what happens is when plants get stressed, uh, trees especially, toward the end of the year, they may drop their leaves early. Uh, cypress, the ball cypress is notorious for this. Uh, when we get to about August and it is blazing hot and no rain, especially in those, uh, sometimes they're planted in, in road medians and things, uh, you'll see them turn brown. And then new green tufts come out on the ends of the branches uh, as, as they get a little bit of maybe a fall rain or something like that to kind of rejuvenate them. Uh, so that's a, it's a good sign that the tree didn't die, of course, but um, we, we would rather they not go through the leaf drop and, and attempt to relief. Uh, but that's just kind of what these, these sort of plants do. Um, all right, let's see. We also, on the email, I had a question from John. He sent some pictures. Um, uh, he had a pine tree, and it had died, I guess, a while back. And uh, now he's seeing evidence of beetles, uh, like on the outside, little, very, very small holes, uh, uh, you know, the size of the lead and the lead pencil, maybe. Um, and they're all over the place. And then when he pulls the bark back, he sees some patterns, uh, like little roadway patterns, uh, cul-de-sacs coming off a main road, is how I would describe it. And so, John, you're seeing some different things. There's different kinds of beetles that are, are attacking the tree. The kind we don't really need to worry about or the kind that are attacking a dead tree uh, because they, they are not the things that kill the tree. They move in later. And we have a lot of different kinds of beetles. Uh, we have something called powder post beetles. It can even be a problem on furniture indoors. Uh, and then there are beetles that just move into the inner wood of the tree, drilling inside, uh, to complete their life cycle. Uh, but the ones that concern us are the ones that feed just under the bark. And those would be the pine beetles. There are a number of different species. Uh, I'm not an entomologist of, of pines, but I, I know of at least five species of pine bark beetles that can occur here in Texas. And the, the one generally referred to as pine bark beetle is, is usually, um, it, it's the one that can kill entire swaths of forest area. And it's almost overnight, it seems, when they do that. Almost with all those beetles, if you've got a somewhat healthy pine tree, they're not going to bother it. Now, there are some exceptions. It's not a 100% guarantee. But where they really move in is when a tree gets stressed. A tree is hit by lightning or something else like that. And that's when they can tend to move in a little more. Some attack real high on the tree, and, and, and others, the turpentine beetle attacks real low on the tree. Uh, but with a tree that's alive, there's going to usually be globs of sap coming out as that tree tries to push the beetle out of the hole. Uh, those globs of sap will often have a hole in them, a tube where the, where, you know, the, the beetle's activity was uh, going in or coming back out. The, once you have those in the tree, there's really not much that you can do about it. Now, maybe someone listening from the Department of Forestry can call in and, and uh, give me more information on this. But uh, by the time you see, especially the pine bark beetle, there is such extensive damage that that pine tree is not going to come back. 
uh, even if it wasn't completely killed, and it usually is completely killed. Others can be more nagging. The turpentine beetle, just a few globs of sap and not something that's going to kill your tree overnight. Uh, so the problem with trying to spray for these is you've got to spray the bark all around the trunk of the tree and uh, hopefully with you getting about 80% of the height of that tree covered. And now that may not apply to every beetle, for example, the turpentine, but for pymark beetles. And we just don't have equipment to do that. And we don't need to be spraying pesticide straight up in the air trying to get higher and higher on that trunk with our, our home equipment having that mist fall down on us. Uh, and so you you would need a professional to come in and do that kind of treatment. Uh, in general, we don't just look at healthy pine trees and spray them every year because they might get beetles, uh, because 99% of the time it's not going to happen. Uh, and so it, it's, it, if you have beetles present, maybe you have a property with a bunch of pines on it, then, then I would call the, the Texas Forest Service and get some advice on how to manage that uh, if pine beetles come in where you have a lot of trees and, and so on. There are some strategies. Uh, one of them is taking the tree down right away. Drop it, get it on the ground horizontal, and the beetles have a very difficult time uh, leaving the tree. Uh, when it's upright, they fly right out and hit the next tree and keep going. That's probably more than you wanted to know, uh, John, but uh, that is what I see. Uh, some beetles that are not what killed the pine and some beetles that, that uh, may well have been that. So if you if you look, uh, if you're trying to do a search, I think John indicated he was, he was trying to do some sort of a search on it. Uh, the um, Look for a search, do a search for Ips engraver beetle. I, uh, IPS and then engraver. Uh, beetle and uh, maybe do a, a image search and you'll see some examples of the patterns that that particular beetle will cause and uh, I, I cannot identify which of the beetles uh, might have attacked your your tree but uh, the five pine bark beetles the Forest Service has a publication on that as well uh, and it's an old one I hope it's still available online uh, and it shows those those patterns that they make. Fortunately, uh, folks that just have one pine tree in the yard around town, uh, it's just not something that we deal with much around here. Or at least I don't get calls on it much. Maybe, maybe I should put it that way. Our phone number is 979-845-5689. And by email, you can reach me at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Let's take a moment. Uh, between calls here to talk about things going on around town. Uh, there's an event coming up out at the American Legion Hall in Somerville. Uh, the Lions Extension Club presents their annual Christmas Cottage Arts, Crafts, and Bake Sale. And they typically will have all kinds of homemade jellies and jams and breads, uh, often quilts and plants and yard art and other things out there. But it's from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Friday and Saturday, tomorrow and the next day, uh, November 4th and 5th. And it is at 738th Street in Somerville. So I would recommend that you uh, go out there and they're going to have complimentary gingerbread cookies and wassail. Wow, that's it's wassail time. If it's wassail, we must be in fall. Um, so uh, to give them a call or give them a, go out and visit them. The public's invited, of course, no charge for it. 
that's out in Somerville. Let's go to the phones now and uh, talk to Gary. Hello, Gary. Uh, hello. Um, a few minutes ago, you kind of offhandedly mentioned what I thought you said were powder keg beetles. Powder that post. That could be a powder post. Powder, powder post beetles, mm -hmm. and they could be a threat. <laughs> Excuse me, to uh, furniture, Fur furniture, and and things like that. Um, I, again, we, we, AgriLife used to have a publication on, uh, let's see, house. What was it? Kind of uh, pests of wood or something like that. And if you go to AgriLife Learn website, AgriLife okay. Learn, and do a search for powder post beetle, it may pop up. If not, if you'll email me at the Extension Office, I probably have an old publication, and I can okay. send you just so you can see what I'm talking about. Okay, I think I know what you're talking about. Okay. Um, do they emerge from having burrowed into wood, and are they very hard-shelled beetles who hop in very erratic and but energetic ways? I, I'm I'm just not enough of an entomologist for sure okay. to answer okay. their how they hop around and things. They're small. Their holes are typically, you know, pencil lead size or, or maybe even smaller, a little smaller oh. than that. Uh, little pinhead type type <laughs> holes. Yeah. Uh, but That's they're smaller than what I've seen. Well, but there are other anyway. there are other wood boring pests that can happen. And typically what we find is, you know, someone brings some wood furniture that they got when they were traveling through Central America or something. They bring it home. Uh, the little, uh, you know, bongo type drums that are made out of wood that are brought uh -huh. in and purchased. And the, the pest comes in with the wood. And so you can end up then having to deal with, with that. Got it. Okay. Well, I'll, uh, I'll look where you told me to look for it. <laughs> All right. Thank All you. Right. You bet. Thank you very much. Uh, let's see, uh, other activities around town. Uh, on Thursday, which is today at 6.30 p.m., there is going to be a guest speaker from the gardens at Texas A&M University, and we'll, they will give a talk, a free talk, about gardening. And that's going to be at the Ringer Library in their meeting room at 1818 Harvey Mitchell uh, Parkway. That's tonight, 6.30. On Saturday, uh, this coming... Two days from now, on November 5th, the Rio Brazos Audubon Society is going to have a program on Birding 101. And we, they've done these before. I've talked about them. Uh, but this is going to be out at Lick Creek Park at the Visitor Center at 8.30 a.m. So this Saturday, 8.30. So it's a chance, if you're interested in learning about birds, uh, you want to be a new uh, bird enthusiast, you can sharpen your skills. They're gonna, uh, you're going to learn how to identify many of them by sight and by sound. Um, you're also going to uh, get a chance to kind of walk around in Lick Creek Park to look for resident and bird, resident birds and birds that are migrating uh, and uh, that if you don't have binoculars, they usually have a few loaners that they can provide for you. Uh, but you want to bring some water for the walk. But I think it's a great opportunity to just learn about the birds. Maybe you're not going to become a full-fledged birder, but you just kind of want to know what's in the backyard that you see coming up. So Saturday, 8.30 a.m. Let's go back to the phones again, the number 845-5689, and we're going to talk to Pat. Hello, Pat. Hey, Skip. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. I, wa I wanted, you may have already spoken about this. I may have missed it. I was driving home okay. from the grocery store. And I noticed that tomorrow there will be an Arbor Day celebration 
I think it's the A and M Garden Club, nine thirty tomorrow morning. Uh, and they're all I am looking if I've got the right information. I do not see an Arbor Day on my list. That doesn't mean it's not happening. It just means I wasn't notified about it. Well, I, I got the information online. I, I went and checked and made sure I was in the correct year. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, I thought I saw that um, Dr. Elmer Crable passed away in September. Yes, he did. And I was unaware of that. And yes. they are going to acknowledge him as part, him and another um, member who is recently deceased, and they're going to acknowledge him at this celebration. Okay. And um, so um, that's all I had. I just thought Dr. Crable hung the moon. Well, he, he, he did for a lot of folks for many, many years. He was a great resource uh, for folks. I thought maybe that I had seen that somewhere, and I'm going to kind of look around if someone listening knows what we're talking about and has the information on when to see what uh you know when this was or is uh please please do uh call in and, and let us know uh, they were planting two trees one in his honor and one in someone else's honor who also yeah. was a very important uh person over the years contributing to to our unfortunately community. i did not know that person but dr crable was a, a, a dear man and a wonderful resource and um yes. he had a good long life and he was wonderful in the horticulture community but anyway that's he all sure i thought. was he sure was thank uh, you well hey thank you for the call pat and we'll see if we all can right. find out more about that okay if you'd like to call in the phone number 845-5689-845-5689 or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu and that just kind of reminds me, I probably never say this on the radio, but uh, if you have special events, especially ones that are garden related uh, in some way, shape or form, uh, you can email them to us at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And if you're interested in finding out about events, you can go to the Brazos County Master Gardeners website and there is something called Around Town, About Town, uh, and the, the Brass County Master Gardeners take the information that we have and they put it on the web so that people can see what's going on. And the web's really easy. It's brazosmg.com, brazosmg.com. Uh, you have to click on the calendar, and uh, there's also an image where you click on around town. You can click and get there that way. And you can find out all these kind of things. Uh, so I would... They do that as a service to the community, and I think you should take advantage of it. All right, so let's see. We're talking about things going on in the community. I'm going to continue on. On Tuesday, November 8th at noon at Outback Steakhouse and College Station is a meeting of the Brazos County Rose Society. Brazos County Rose Society, Outback Steakhouse, Tuesday at noon. Uh, the, uh, they're going to have a program, and if you're interested, uh, go give them your welcome. The public is welcome to come and learn about the Rose Society, uh, and just go for it, and Outback Steakhouse, and I think you'll enjoy that. On Friday, November 11th, the A&M Garden Club is meeting, and they meet at Peace Lutheran Church on Rio Grande Boulevard in College Station at 9.30 a.m., 
And this program is Napkin Folding by Heather White, a Master Flower Show, show Judge. Uh, guests are welcome. Now, I don't, you know, I had a discussion with someone the other day about which side of the plate the fork or the knife went on. And uh, so I probably need to go and learn a little bit about napkin folding and take my... Uh, uh, whatever you'd call it, up a, up a step or two. On Thursday, November 17th, the Brazos Valley Master Naturalists are getting together with the uh, Post Oak Chapter of the Native Plant Society. Post Oak Chapter of the Native Plant Society and the Brazos Valley Master Naturalist, and this will be at 6.30 p.m. at the AgriLife Extension Office. We're right next to the county uh, where you pay your taxes, county tax office. Uh, November 17th, Thursday, 6.30 p.m. And uh, Cherie Coburn will be presenting seven simple steps, garden design made easy. You can learn the tricks of the trade for this professional landscape designer and award-winning author. And this program will help you better understand the how-tos and the what-fors of garden design. 6.30 p.m. next November, the 7th, or <laughs> next Thursday, the 17th, or actually, that's a little further than that away. Uh, but anyway, Thursday, November 17th at the Extension Office. And this, uh, when I saw this name, it it uh, it surprised me. Uh, Cherie Coburn was a master gardener in the program that I oversaw when I was in Conroe, in Montgomery County. And that was a lot of years ago. More than Cherie or I would care to count up right now. Uh, but uh, she is a wonderful lady. I can personally vouch for, for the information she provides and the manner in which she presents it. I think you will be very uh, interested in that. Plus, it's a good, chap, a good chance to uh, meet with folks from the Master Naturalist Program here and the, the, the Post Oak uh, chapter of the Native Plant Society. I think we may have another item or two. Okay, the Texas A&M Women's Club Garden Interest Group uh, is meeting at the George Bush Presidential Library. They're meeting there again. They used to, and then it got away from it during COVID. But it's at 9.30 a.m. on Tuesday, November 15th. And there's going to be a program presented by Gloria Hunter, uh, Marianne Rilal and Jean Ward, members of the Texas Time Unit of the American Herb Society. And the program's called Eat Your Herbs. Uh, they'll talk about the various health benefits of their favorite herbs and talk about how to use them in food. You know, that's that's something that I think is really good. You, it, We see herb gardens, and it, herbs are easy to grow. I mean, not every herb, but I mean, you can grow a lot of herbs pretty easily. Rosemary, for example, that is one of the most drought-tolerant, low-care plants on earth. Uh, but you grow it, and now how do you use it? What if you want to make an herb butter? Or what if you want to uh, use herbs in some other way? Well, this is your chance, Tuesday, November 15th at 9.30 a.m. Uh, at the George Bush Presidential Library's Education Room. The uh, Brazos Valley Orchid Society on Tuesday, November 20th, uh, from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., Station 6, Fire Station 6, Community Room. That's on the Caro corner of Tarot and University. You can bring your orchids in there, and they'll talk to you about how to care for them, uh, maybe how to almost bring them back to life. I know a lot of folks uh, have, have uh, frustrations that they can't get an orchid to grow. Well, uh, they will help you get an orchid to grow. So I'd, I'd recommend you consider that. Also, don't forget about our farmer's markets. We've got the Brazos, uh, South Brazos County Farmer's Market 
uh, every Tuesday from noon to 5 on the corner of University and Glen Haven, and also on every Friday from noon to 5, same location. We've got the Brazos Valley Farmers Market Saturdays from 8 to noon in downtown Bryan at Main and 21st. Uh, and then there's the local, which is each Tuesday through November 29th in front of the Stella Hotel uh, at 4100 Lake Atlas Drive in Bryan. Uh, lots of vendors and, and uh, craft and other kinds of things going on, I know, uh, at that one. And then Farm Fridays, oh, let's see, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, on FM 974 called Tabor Road. Uh, it's a farmer's market that has information out there on Fridays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. My goodness, that's a lot of things going on uh, around town, but we want to get to all of those. Uh, let's see. I did uh, have to one more uh, one more uh, thing on email. Uh, we had a question that came in uh, from Suzanne, and she planted a four-inch pot uh, of these uh, coal crops or cruciferous vegetables or the blue leaf vegetables, I call them. Brussels sprouts, cabbage, cauliflower, and broccoli. Those were planted about a month ago, and the cabbage just started to form a head. Uh, so how long before you see small veggies forming on other cold crop plants? I tell you, I, I am surprised the cabbage has started to form ahead. I am not quite sure what's going on there. That's surprising. What often happens if the, the plants we are planting are stressed, maybe they were left too long in the container at the grower or the nursery, and uh, the, what happens is they, they can get stunted. Cauliflower is this way. You want it to, when they plant the seed, you want to buy that plant from the garden center soon and get it in the ground and get it growing because it'll sort of stunt out and you'll get a little cauliflower head, but not the size, uh, you know, that, that you want. Uh, I haven't seen cabbage form a head within a month from a transplant like that before, uh, but um, I, I guess that that's uh, what's happening. Uh, so your Brussels sprouts are going to be the slowest, Suzanne. They are... It's going to be next spring probably before you're picking, or next uh, late winter, early spring before you're picking Brussels sprouts. So uh, that takes a long time to get there. Uh, broccoli will be kind of in between these others, like the like the cauliflower was. Okay, we had a, a question that just came in from um, uh, Tad about can hypoxylin canker spread to crepe myrtles? Uh, so the the question is, first of all, I want to address the word spread. So if you have it on a tree in your yard and, you know, the dust, the spores are out there, of course, there'll be a little more of it around that tree as the spores disperse out different areas. But remember, it's already out and about. So um, while you probably are increasing the inoculum, as the pathologists would say, in the area. Uh, it, I'm not as concerned about that particular thing. But uh, Tad asks about uh, crepe myrtles and also uh, Chinese pistache. And I have never seen hypoxylin on crepe myrtle. And I want to say it doesn't attack Chinese pistachio because I've never heard of it. Uh, I may be wrong. I can't say for sure that Chinese pistachio is resistant. Uh, but I my guess is that it would be, and that is a guess. Uh, that I will definitely let you know that. But uh, I think your your other plants are going to be okay around that. 
Okay, we were talking about what uh, some of the things going on around town. And also, I want to talk a little bit about uh, vegetables right now. Uh, we are in early November, and so we're getting to the end of the time when we'd like to get all those blue leaf coal crops uh, planted. Uh, so if you could go ahead and get that done sooner rather than later, you can plant them all winter, but they're going to kind of sit there when it's really cold and not grow much. And so the sooner you get those in, the sooner you can have a good harvest from them. Uh, it's also a time for carrots, for example. Carrots, and, and uh, it's the tail end of our time for turnips uh, and radishes. You can still plant radishes there so fast. Uh, that'll work well. Uh, so I would I would get all of those things going right now. I think you'll find that uh, uh, you can have a really nice garden here over the winter. We got a few hard freezes that typically occur. Maybe a few is even too many to say. Uh, and you can cover plants during those times. As we approach those, I'll talk about those on the radio. Also, lettuce and spinach can still be planted. Again, uh, easy to cover those kinds of things, so we don't have to have to worry a lot about. Uh, the cold cold weather affecting them. If you've got vegetables and flowers uh, for the cool season growing in your garden, uh, you want to continue to fertilize those, uh, especially with a source of nitrogen. I use, I use lawn fertilizer with a 3-1-2 ratio for just about everything around the house and, and plants do fine. I'm not saying that it is the perfect fertilizer for everything. But it has a good boost of nitrogen in it and, uh, and not as much phosphorus. Uh, but I, that's typically how I fertilize the flowers. Uh, in most of our soils, we've got um, adequate supplies of phosphorus if you've been fertilizing for a few years. Uh, but, but the best way to know for sure, because, you know, the generalization can, can always, is always wrong in certain situations, uh, you want to go to soiltesting.tamu.edu, soiltesting.tamu.edu, and there is a form on that site called the Urban Soil Test Form urban soil test form. I don't care if you live in the boonies somewhere out in the county, uh, you still, if it's a, a horticultural plant, you want to use that urban soil test form. That'd be your lawn and your flower beds and your vegetables and fruit trees and roses, all good examples. And you can select and tell them what you're growing, if it's roses or if it's annual flowers. And that way their recommendations will be appropriate especially appropriate for the plants that you're wanting to, to use it on. But continue to feed them with nitrogen. The flowers, our modern flowers that have been just bred and bred over the years for incredibly beautiful, larger blooms, uh, they need energy to produce blooms. Uh, when a plant goes from just being leafy to trying to flower and fruit or set seed, uh, it takes a lot of energy to do that. And so in order to do that, we need to have a lot of leaves. And you'll see on a lot of different kinds of plants, uh, I noticed a petunia I had in a hanging basket this year. Uh, toward the end of the season, it wasn't producing leaves. It was just producing blooms, and it was producing itself to death, uh, just about. So I cut it back, fertilized it, and got a new flush of growth and more blooms. 
And, and the same is true whether it's vegetables or flowers. You want to get good, vigorous, healthy growth. Don't overdo the fertilizer, but give them enough to keep them going. Uh, and as, as it gets colder and colder, the microbial activity slows down a little bit. Uh, our, we don't have the bitter cold that further north might experience, but microbial activity is what releases a lot of the nutrients to our plants in the soil, and uh, it slows down. So another reason in the cool season to fertilize uh, frequently in small amounts and keep those things vigorous and growing, and that way you can continue to enjoy the bounty and the beauty uh, of your plants as we move in uh, to the cool season. Also watch out for cabbage loopers. They are out and about now, chewing holes in all those blue leaf vegetables uh, and uh, other plants as well. Uh, and uh, there's a little beetle that attacks uh, some of our uh, cabbage-like vegetables, like, like Chinese cabbage, for example, uh, bok choy, and some of the other cool-season cruciferous vegetables that we refer to as Asian vegetables. Uh, those That group is attacked by a beetle, so you just want to watch for that uh, and make sure you're staying ahead of those. Uh, but in general, it's a great time to garden. It's so cool. It's so easy to be outside. Uh, we get rain periodically, and the plants don't need as much water because the temperature's cooler, uh, that it just makes it a really pleasant time to garden. Uh, if you were trying to garden this summer uh, during, you know, 40-plus days of 100 degrees plus uh, and no rain in sight, uh, boy, that it takes a dedicated gardener to do that. But uh, when it comes to our fall gardens, uh, it's just an easy time. You know, I mentioned fall being the best time to garden. Of course, we're way past this now, but uh, toward the end of summer, there are a number of warm season vegetables that we can plant and have good harvest in the fall. Uh, the uh, what we call summer squashes, the kind that we eat when they're immature, like zucchini and yellow squash. Uh, let's see, cucumbers and uh, green beans. You know, green beans planted in the spring, especially a little late in the spring, they're going to try to produce their crop when it's getting kind of hot. Whereas in the fall, when you do a summer planting, and I'm not talking about having beans in late October, I'm just talking about, you know, mid to late September, early October to mid-October, uh, those beans are a higher quality. They just taste better, I think, when they, when they beans don't ripen, but when they mature or reach the harvest stage uh, in the cooler conditions of fall. So just another reason fall's a good, a good season. A couple of other tips uh, before we're done today. Uh, as you're out and about, uh, we are about to enter leaf season. In fact, I think I saw the first leaf bags of fall uh, in my part of town uh, the, uh, the other day. And uh, leaves are valuable for your garden soil. Uh, nature uses leaves to build rich soil on the floor of the forest. Leaves are very important for that. And when you grow uh, a tree and it, it's going through the season and producing leaves and a few branches and twigs and things, uh, the majority of the nutrients are, are in those leaves. And, and I'm not talking about carbon or oxygen or nitrogen or um, uh, uh, let's see, carbon, oxygen, yeah, those those kind of things. I'm talking about like phosphorus and potassium and uh, and some nitrogen too, and all the things we would call fertilizer elements. Uh, they're in the leaves, so when they fall to the ground, uh, you can either bag them and 
pay your for your garbage service for them to haul them away or you can keep them and use them and everyone who's a gardener should keep and use their leaves you can run over them with a lawnmower uh, and you know blow them toward the center as you mow uh, and chop them up if you happen to be fortunate enough to have a grinder grind them up too uh, and that way, like four bags of leaves can become one bag of leaves. Uh, but you need them for mulching all through the year, including next July and August when it's hot and there's no leaves in sight. Uh, and you want to compost them as they decompose. They release those nutrients and just a lot of benefits because it's how nature works. And so uh, get ready. Maybe get your wire compost bin set up or your holding bin for your leaves uh, because you're going to want to take advantage of leaf season when it happens. I always appreciate my neighbors for raking leaves for me and putting them out where I can pick them up and take them home to my garden. And the more you do that, the better you get it. Looking at that bag to say, yeah, it's got too many sticks in it. I'm going to go to the next one that that looks like it's full of leaves. <laughs> well, anyway, I hope you have a wonderful time out in the garden this week. We'll be back again next Thursday. Uh, tell your friends about Garden Success and have them listen in as well. Or they can listen by podcast at many of the common podcast sites, including Spotify and Google, uh, Google Podcasts and Apple's Podcast, and of course, uh, National Public Radio. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.